Spartans! What is your profession? See, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did. Alright, and off we go. Next seminar up August 12th through the 14th with a few spots left. Then October 14th through the 16th. Then December 9th through the 11th. For camps coming up, we have a coaching development camp covering how to coach the squat. That's going to be on October 1st in Columbus, Ohio at Starting Strength Columbus. Then we have a self-sufficient lifter camp on September 10th in Wichita Falls. A few deadlift and power clean camps. We have August 20th with one spot left in Indianapolis at the time of this recording. And then September 10th in Houston at Starting Strength Houston. Some squat and deadlift camps on the list. We have Bergen, Norway on August 21st. Then on August 27th, Beaverton, Oregon at Starting Strength Beaverton. And then November 26th in Stockholm, Sweden. For squat press and deadlift camps on the list, we have August 27th in Greenville, South Carolina. September 17th in Brussels, Belgium with a few spots left. And September 24th in Orange County, California. For more information on anything I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Well, what a treat for you people. It's a treat for you people every time you get to watch Starting Strength Radio or listen to it on your respective audio podcast streaming services. But today it's a special treat because we're here with our friend John Musser and we're going to talk about the movies again. And this time, we're going to talk about war movies. War movies. So why are war movies important? Well, that's, that's kind of an interesting question. You know, we live in a rather peaceful society now. We live in a, we live in a time where aggression is discouraged and bravery is regarded as foolish. And uh, uh, physical confrontation is uh, is just not done, right? War movies so, are important because war is important because there are times when people who want to take what's yours will not listen to your pleas for help where they will not listen to you ask them to please don't do that. And as long as there are societies of different people organized around their priorities, not yours, there are going to be conflicts. And if those conflicts get big enough, we call them wars. And uh, whoever first uttered the phrase, violence never solves anything. Um, how big a fool do you have to be 
to say violence never solves anything. So that's why war movies are important. So we're going to talk about them today. So, you know, this this is not a chick flick week. You know, this is not chick flick. This is not, we're not going to be discussing the incredible lightness of being or when Harry met Sally or uh, what were those two broads that in the car? Thelma uh, uh, and, and Louise. Yeah, Thelma and Louise. And we're not going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about war movies. Now, when John and I decided to put this thing together, we had to decide what a war movie was. Because, you know, we've already spent time with uh, some war movies in the in the Sword Movie podcast. You know? Uh, so, uh, for example, we're not going to consider The Seven Samurai as a war movie. Or 13 Assassins, which was a good Japanese film. Uh, that was a damn good movie, and it's about war. It's more specifically about a battle. But I, I think probably the best way to characterize all the stuff we're going to be looking at today is, uh, oh, John, what would you call it, modern warfare? Uh, modern warfare, I think a, a better definition would simply be uh, war movies that we want to talk about. Um, that's That's probably more accurate. Because it's... Movies that we consider to be war movies, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so we want a, a certain degree of modern warfare. We don't know. We don't mind going back to the back of the rack a little bit earlier. Uh, I guess the earliest ones we have, uh, you know, nineteen seventeen, right? Uh, yeah. So World War One, but there one. were rifles in World War One, right? right? This is, uh, I mean, Kingdom of Heaven was a war movie. It was about the Crusades. But it's a, it's a it's a genre picture, and it belongs in the in the sword movie category. And uh, 1917 is uh, is uh, a modern war. I mean, in kind of a sense. I mean, World War One's not really the way we do things anymore, except that the United States military still seems to think that. You know, five mile runs and twenty mile rucks are how modern wars are fought. But uh, so uh, the so so the war movies. It's movies we want to talk about. It's important flicks that we consider. Right. And it's also maybe introducing a few movies that people haven't uh, aren't as familiar with. Right. We try to do that with every one of these. You know, we we try to introduce you to stuff we know about that you probably are ignorant of now ignorant not in a that's not, not to be uh you know defamatory or anything I mean, not everybody knows everything you know like john and i yes and and uh we you know it's incumbent upon us to help you with this situation so we're going to help you fill in the holes today like we do every time we do a movie podcast Great power, great responsibility thing. It is a, you know, I mean, the weight of the world is right here on our shoulders, you know. And we are not shirkers. Our mothers didn't raise no shirkers. So here we're going to jump right into this. 
All right. So we've got, as we usually do, we got a bunch of movies we're going to talk about, and then we've got top five. And the the ones that we've distilled into the what we think are the best of the of the uh, genre we're talking about here. And uh, we're going to start off today with a movie that is not a particularly good war movie. It's a heist movie, but it's nonetheless one of my favorite movies. And uh, it's one of these movies I've watched 15 or 20 times, and it's called Kelly's Heroes. And Kelly's Heroes was a, was a Clint Eastwood vehicle. Clint Eastwood was in it, and Telly Savalas, and Carol O'Connor, and uh, a bunch of people. Donald Sutherland was in it. Uh, oh, uh, the, the comedian. Uh, the Rickles. 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 Don Rickles. Was in it. Don Rickles was in it. I, I, you know, Rickles died in nineteen seven in two thousand seventeen. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he died. Being that damn mean probably kept him alive all that year. Well, he was ninety. I mean, that's a pretty good run. I'd say you're doing all right. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, Rickles was Rickles was funny in this movie, and uh, George Savalas, which is Telly's brother was in it he was <laughs> he was pretty funny in this movie the, it, this, the movie's funny as hell it really is it, all the way through it it's a it's a serious subject but it that it's it's i think you'd have to call it a comedy drama because there's some funny stuff in it and it, it uh, a odd tonal line because you have something horrific happening and then the very next scene cut is comedy so yeah so it's got an odd little tonal issue with it yeah, but it, it pulls off, I think, and I think it holds up, too. Yeah, I think it does. Everybody that, that has seen it, uh, with the exception of my buddy Scott Davison, loves it. He doesn't like it because of the uh, Donald Sutherland character, who he interpreted as a dope smoker in <laughs> in World War II, and he he didn't think that was particularly appropriate so he just can't be entertained though was this before was this before animal house or after because donald southern did that same character except as a college professor right this was in 1970 and animal house was 79 so this would have been what so he just repeated his he just repeated his college professor thing yeah 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 so he uh yeah he played kind of a uh, there was no evidence, no no assertion, no mention, no no showing of any dope smoking. But the character was a hippie, you know, and he talked like a hippie and stuff. But you know, all of that aside, th- did you know that 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 movie was based on an actual event? I read that. I read. I read that they the, discovered. They showed that somebody was doing some research, and they eventually landed their hands on a couple bars of gold that had supposedly came from that heist, right? Well, I, I don't know about that, but, I mean, there was a there was a bank in Bavaria that was robbed during World War II. Yes. It was behind yep. enemy lines, and it was robbed of a bunch of gold yep. in World War II. That actually occurred, and the U.S. government wouldn't acknowledge it, but there are people that have researched that and have uh, – have said, yeah, there was. This there's, actually there's took place. One, there's at least one book on it, uh, and uh, uh, it, it's interesting. You know, it, it's interesting, I, and I can see where 
I can see where it would happen very easily, right? It wouldn't be the first time no. some huge heist has happened no, in the middle of no, the No, no, no. I mean, what better cover? Yeah. You know? Right. What better cover could there possibly be? And so these apparently that somebody got away with a whole bunch of gold. And I don't know if it was an American force or the Germans working in con in uh, in uh, in, in company with, with the Americans or the French underground, who knows what happened. I mean, they, they just, no one's been able to figure out where all that went, they which got, means it's got, probably still around someplace. Still, you know. still it's, it's, it's been melted down and sold. The, uh, the heist movie is always enjoyable, right? In the planning stages. So you get to see the planning part of it and the, and the, and the payoff at the end. And it's a very mm-hmm. clear stuff in here is, here's this thing we got to get. And all this other stuff is just the environment that we got to get through, and all these guys carry it carry the weight very well. You know, it's they all they all are uh, they all uh, produce. You can identify with the characters. Unlike a lot of war movies, uh, these characters are distinctive enough that you can tell one from the other. A lot right. of war movies, I think, they go to great pains to just remind us that all of them were the same. They right. were all there together, the same. Well, that's what uniforms are for, I suppose. But they, uh, these guys were uh, the cast of this movie. This thing was shot in Yugoslavia, and back in 1970, I mean, before the fall of the uh, Iron Curtain, this thing was shot in Yugoslavia, and uh, uh, they used three uh, Soviet T-34 tanks, which looked like tigers. They were right. they were Soviet copies of Tiger tanks, and they looked like Tigers, and they they repainted them and they made them stand in for German Tiger tanks, and then you know crap game or I mean uh, oddball had a Sherman or two or three, and and uh, <laughs> the the thing was it, it just it, if you haven't seen Kelly's Heroes, you just don't like movies. Yeah, the you scam know? is fun. Uh, yeah, it's, always it's, a it's a lot of fun. It's always some scam going on. And there's serious things that happen in the uh, along the course of the way to the bank behind enemy lines, but uh, it is a uh, it is a, a, a very enjoyable film. And uh, and they they accidentally do some good, right? They blow up the, the railroad yard, I guess, and they, they accidentally do some good for the war effort yeah. on their way to the bank. But that's yeah. not the goal. Of course, that's goal. not their concern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's uh, yeah, that's uh, that is a, it's a damn good movie. Kelly's Heroes is uh, that's my favorite Clint Eastwood film. Really? Oh yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. No, I don't like uh, uh, oh goddamn, what's the one everybody thinks I'm supposed to like? Uh, Unforgiven. No, Unforgiven is my second favorite Clint Eastwood movie. No, the I one about him being the old man, the grumpy old man. Uh, Yeah, the El Torino. I ain't gonna Grand watch Grand Torino. I, I just I just didn't like. If Grand you had opened up on him with a Korean War era rifle at the end, I'd have been fine with that movie. But he didn't. <laughs> right, but he didn't. And uh, so no, I don't like Grand Torino. But uh, Unforgiven was my. Yeah, it'd be my second favorite. Although it's a great movie. It's probably it's a better movie than Kelly's Heroes. I just like, you know, Kelly and Kelly's Heroes. Mm-hmm. You've seen it, Rusty? Yeah. You like Kelly's hero? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a good movie. And so there's there's Rusty's vote. He's a young right. man, Important. millennial, no doubt. Is he? And even he likes Kelly's heroes. 
So we invest, we suggest that you investigate that film. Now, let's go to... Let's talk about Apocalypse Now. This is an interesting film. Uh, it is, it's a Coppola movie, Francis Ford Coppola movie, and Coppola doesn't do bad movies. Coppola did The Godfather, arguably one of the top ten American films of all time. Uh, Coppola did uh, one of my other favorite movies, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes, one of the best Dracula's ever made. Ever made. Uh and uh, Coppola did Apocalypse Now and uh, wrote the script for the thing. And uh, and it is definitely a, a, a damned interesting movie. Uh, I think it has been, I think it's slightly overrated. Uh, saw it once a long time ago and then I watched it in preparation for our talk today. What's... What's your opinion of Apocalypse now, John? I, I think that the, I think it's been studied and pulled apart in so many different ways that it's hard to look at it anymore as simply a movie to sit down and enjoy or not. Uh, so it's yeah, that's a very good assessment. That's very good. It's you are supposed to revere the thing, yeah, and so you go into it with, uh, without an open mind, essentially. Yes, you've already, you're already sold on it. So, so when I, uh, I've watched it a half a dozen times over the years. The most recent time I watched it, uh, it was on the big screen, you know, and it was um, very high def and all that stuff. And uh, I found the pacing to be a little bit off, but I still think that it holds up very well. I still think that they got the most out of those actors that they could have. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And, and I, and I, mean, I, God. I can't even imagine the pain that they went through to film those scenes. I mean, that's a lot of. I mean, the stuff that they went through. So so it's still an impressive movie. It's still a very important movie. But it's hard to view other than through uh, the lens of, of the fact that you're supposed to, as you said, revere it. You're supposed to adore this movie. You know? Well, and I, I, one of the most important things about this movie is the cast. Yes. I mean, you Brando. You, you got Brando and Robert Duvall yeah. working on the same film. You know, and selling, and Martin completely Sheen selling, and completely selling their characters, right? Just completely selling their characters. I mean, Fishburne, uh, Dennis Hopper. You forgot? I forgot about Dennis Hopper. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Usually Hopper's he stands out so much. Huh. Yeah, yeah. He's just yeah. part of the cast in this one. Yeah, and just it's, part uh, of the cast. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if you if you watch that acting, it's perfectly appropriate for the for the character. Hopper was an underrated performer hopper knew when to be an obnoxious hey look at me asshole and he knew how to be a member of the cast as well yeah he knew how to pour it on he, he knew what yeah. his role was so he, right. he was going to be that character whatever that character was is what he's right. going to be yeah if somebody hasn't seen that movie by now there's probably a whole bunch of people uh that have that have seen it, but I think there's a whole bunch that have heard about it so much, and they've heard the quotes and the lines, and right. they've heard all that stuff, but they've never sat down and watched it beginning to end. It's uh, it's, it's worth definitely it. worth doing. Yeah, get the longer cut. Yes, the longer the, cut the, they added like 20 minutes to that film. Yeah, 25 minutes maybe to the thing. Yeah, it's worth the longer cut. And it's it's a long movie. It's like a. Uh, it's not quite as long as uh, 
seven samurai, but it's it's in yep. excess of three hours. Oh yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's a it's a it's a project. You can yeah. feel the dirt. You can feel the grime. You can feel you the can feel the sweat and the heat and the bugs and shit. It's just a. Yeah, it's a. It's quite a presentation of 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 things. It really is. Uh, but uh, you know, and a whole bunch of people would put that in the top five. But I just think there are better war movies. You know. It, you know yeah, I, I often wonder if I some of my top five sometimes de- are dependent on what the hell's going on around me, uh, right? Instead of just what the movie's presenting. Do you know what I mean? Right. No, no, I do know exactly what you're talking about, and our top five is, is going to be uh, reflective of that very thing because, uh, you know, I mean, arguably you could put uh, uh, Apocalypse Now. It's, it's, it's probably in the top ten of American movies. I mean, it's a very important film in terms of uh, direction and photography and Special effects and stuff. Special effects in Apocalypse Now are just like the the napalm run. You it know how they did that. Kind of, yeah, it takes a special kind of director to get those kind of performances out of an actor. Yeah, not just everybody can do that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Apocalypse Now is 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 there in the in the deal. And another another thing we're going to probably get raked over the coals for is not putting Full Metal Jacket in the top five. I was going to bring that up. Now, now Full Metal Jacket is a Kubrick film. And I saw it a long time ago when it first came out. It's a 1987 movie. And uh, I saw it in the theaters when it first came out. And John helped me with this. I just hadn't wanted to watch it again. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, here's the, here's the way to convince why? yourself to watch it again. Look at it as a, as a documentary and enjoy the performances. Because yeah. if, you, if, if you see like what Kubrick did there, which some very interesting stories. So his goal was to create a documentary. And you're looking at two movies. You're looking at the prep, right? The boot camp. Mm-hmm. All right. You're looking at the war scenes. Right. And the war scenes are argu- arguably less impactful than the prep, but, uh, the, uh, the boot camp scenes, uh, were superb. And if you, um, if you give it another shot and you look for some of the actors that you've seen before, like the, the Vincent DF Lino, however you pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, was gonna, he was a bouncer when they picked him for that role. Right. Uh, Kubrick wanted to get, uh, instead of Lee Ernie for the, for the, for the, drill sergeant, they were looking at a guy that was the rapist in deliverance. So Bill McKinney, who was in a whole bunch of Clint Eastwood, Bill McKinney. So, so Kubrick hired Bill McKinney to be the drill sergeant, but he was too intimidated and scared of him from his role in the deliverance to put him in the movie. I mean, that's an odd guy, right? Yeah. To be scared of an actor and the actors, people were basically saying, Oh no, he's, he's really a nice guy. He's not that guy. He's a, you know, He's right. a nice. He's so, acting. So he's acting. So if you <laughs> why would you have movie, to tell Kubrick that? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, right? Don't yeah, tell Kubrick I'm not really that bad guy. But if uh, if you look at that movie again, I revisited it probably six months ago. 
if you see that movie again in high def on the big screen and you and you get in the side of the head of these people and some of them who are absolutely insane there's no doubt in your mind that some of them are insane right um oh yeah and if you if you see their behavior and their performances uh it's worth it i don't know how many he's he was known for dozens and dozens of takes to get exactly what he wanted out of a scene right so I don't know how much he beat these guys up to get these scenes, but uh, some of it is it's still powerful and it still holds up. His goal was to he wanted to film a documentary. That's what he thought. That's what he felt. Well, Ermy was an amazing addition to that cast. Yeah, he, he you know, lobbied that, for that role. So he but, was hired as a technical advisor and then he lobbied hard for that role. And he had to explain to to Kubrick what a lot of the words meant what he was talking about when he was throwing out all those insults. He had to explain to Kubrick what, what those things meant. Uh, right. so, so he lobbied for that role and it was, it added to the, it added to the event. I mean, it's, yeah, that was it, the most memorable performance in the whole movie. Yeah. You can't picture anybody else no. doing that. No, you can't. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get that. I'll get that and watch it. Uh, I'm famous for owning all of my media. I don't stream. I, you know, we got Starlink in now. I think probably that'd support streaming service of some sort. But previous to that, we just didn't have the capacity. But I like owning the the DVD, the Blu-ray, in case uh, the national uh, arbiters of the uh, they don't want you here and the media the decide that I don't need to see Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, you don't. And need they, to you see know, it. they might decide that. They may. Then they may. I don't want them to have the ability to prevent me from doing so. So I'll own my DVDs and the. You know, and le- hey, at least they're not VHS. Right. At least they're not betas. I couldn't right? go back to VHS, man. After seeing the high def stuff, I can't go back to that. Holy shit! VHS is a pain in the ass. All the rewinding and all that shit. It's just a please be it's like the cassettes are a pain in the ass. This digital shit is the best thing that's ever been invented, and I'm sticking with it. So, uh, so yeah, that's full metal jacket. Uh, all right, here is another interesting World War II movie. Uh, the Dirty Dozen was a, a 1967 movie by Robert Aldrich and Jim Brown, uh, Lee Marvin, right? Lee Marvin was the was the star of this film. And Lee Marvin was uh I mean you've probably seen Lee Marvin in westerns and stuff and he was all over the place in the 60s. And uh and Lee Marvin was a legitimate personal badass. Himself. He was a tough guy. He looks like a tough guy. Looks like a mean old tough guy. Yeah. Well, he's buried in Arlington National Cemetery. You know, he was there in World War II. Yeah. yeah. He was there. And he was very, very present in World War II. And uh, he was a uh, very well-respected actor and uh, one of these guys in Hollywood that everybody, that nobody's got anything bad to say about, you know. Mm-hmm. He's just He was just a solid, honest guy. He brings a personal competence to the role you know yes. you believe what he's doing like in the professionals 
you believe everything that he's doing. You believe that personal competence that he brings to the role. Yeah, he's very convincing. Yeah. Very convincing as as every character he plays. And, uh, you know, I, I think that if you had a, a modern director take The Dirty Dozen and remake it, like if Nolan was to do Dirty Dozen again and recast it and 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 – and use modern film stock and modern editing and modern direction and and uh, modern approach to the photography and and all this other stuff. It the the dirty doesn't suffers from it it it's dated. Yes, you know. Yeah, when you, you agree, it's kind of dated and just it's a the way it looks. Yeah, the way it looks and the and the dialogue is a little dated. It right. doesn't it doesn't hold up as well as it should. But the the heartfelt moments the the um, the, the, the strings that they're pulling still work. Well, so, it's a, the story is interesting. Story, the, yeah. the premise is very compelling. You've got a group of 12 guys who are either on death row or are going to be uh, sent to death row when the war is over or are going to spend the rest of their lives or the next 25 years in a penitentiary for various crimes they've committed. Yeah, and so why not fight? We need, a, we need a job done behind enemy lines, and we're going to make you guys a deal. All right, yeah. you are going to go do this for us, and if you're if you live through it and you survive, we're going to pardon you, and we're going to set you up. And yeah. you're gonna, you got a you got a way to redeem yourself. This is the only chance you'll ever have to redeem yourself. It's worthwhile, you know, unless you're truly sick, you know, and mm -hmm. a couple of them turned out to be. But you know, right, right, you, right. you've got you've got a chance here. To make up for having fucked up so bad that you're on death row or you're going to spend the next rest of your life in in jail. So here's a chance. And that actually occurred. There were a couple of outfits during World War II that were, that were constituted of people like this. And it's, you know, so they, they, uh, they didn't just invent this, this, this plot premise out of thin air. It actually took place a couple of times. And... It was. Uh, it's an interesting, an interesting idea. If you had a modern, a modern take on this on this film, it'd be a hell of a movie. Well, they've know? tried to do it a few times with limited success. Uh, they've done it in the superhero genre, of course, a couple times. Um, but uh, I think if they made it based more realistically, I think they could pull it off a little bit better. I yeah. think I think if somebody applied it seriously. So with the Dirty Dozen, the characters are different enough that you can tell one from the other. Right. And and you get to see some of them. Some of them rise to the occasion, and some of them don't. Right. So uh, I think it's well done. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a it's you, Lee Marvin's in it, of course, as we said, and you know Clint Walker. Clint Walker was a big man. Yeah. He was six five, I think. Weighed in, the, you know, 235, 240, big, strong human being, you know, back before weightlifting manufactured such men. This guy was a big, legitimate, huge, powerful human male. And, now, Jim uh, Brown was a pretty popular actor at that time. And Jim Brown was, he a, was, in a couple, was a couple physical Western, presence. Phys physical dude, yeah. Yeah. Giant, capable guy, obviously, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, they, they, I think they pull it off. 
It looks, oh, yeah. It's a good-looking movie. It's, it's a, worth watching. It's worth uh, watching. I just think one of these days somebody's going to pick that thing up again and uh, and uh, do something with it. And maybe it maybe it won't be <laughs> maybe it won't be Quentin Tarantino. I don't know. <laughs> Inglorious Bastards. I heard that mentioned about this. Inglorious Bastards was not a important war movie. I couldn't get into it. It just. It was well. That's because he, he. It was written badly. Yeah, I couldn't. You know, I mean, the thing started off. Here, this this we start off. We walk into the first scene, and here's these group of badasses, and these are some bad motherfuckers, right? Right, 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 right. Why? Why? Why are they bad motherfuckers? How do you know they're bad motherfuckers? Yeah, show this us, don't tell us. Is a problem with plot development. And it was a glaring problem, and I couldn't get past it. There were some interesting things in the movie, but, you know, Tarantino's not going to outdo Pulp Fiction anytime soon. No. You know, won't ever happen. And it certainly as hell didn't happen with Inglorious Bastards or Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Uh, It's just, you know. Goddamn Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was close, though. That was good, though. No, that was that was his second best film. There's no doubt. I think that was actually a little better than uh, Reservoir Dogs, which is I, a pretty I good movie. The Reservoir Dogs is a good movie. Pretty, but... pretty good movie. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Dirty Dozen. Uh, you need to watch Dirty Dozen uh, from 1967. It's obviously a 1960s movie, but watch it anyway. You'll, you'll oh 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 Charles Bronson was in that too. Yeah. Don't forget tough, Charles capable, Bronson. Tough, capable, old school guy. Yeah. Watch watch the first two Death Wishes with Charles Bronson. I wouldn't spend a lot of time on the rest of them, but yeah. watch the first two Death Wishes Death Wishes and uh, Charles Bronson was also uh, a giant immigrant family with I don't know, a dozen kids in the family and uh, just a legitimate looking tough, capable dude. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt Charles Bronson was a was a presence a presence on the screen he certainly was and he's married to jill ireland who's nothing to sneeze at for a long time for a long time yeah uh das boot das boot das boot 1981 you know it's it's i was just thinking today god almighty is it been 41 years since that thing came out it was a it was a submarine movie it's told from the german perspective it was uh it was made in west germany in 1981 it's in german if you're going to watch it you have to watch a subtitled movie but if you're familiar with german at all i've had some german it's not it's not hard to watch at all and they did probably the best, the most realistic job of showing you what a submarine looks like inside than any other any other movie. All right, Hunt for Red October. That's not a submarine. That's a starship. It's not right. a submarine. There's there's four times as much room on the bridge of the boat in Hunt for Red October as there is in any submarine that has ever been built. 
All right. Now, so, listen, I've been on a submarine. I've actually been on the USS Alabama. The, uh, the, the crew of that boat was, was gracious enough to invite myself and Nick to visit for lunch one day when we were up in Seattle doing a, doing a, uh, a seminar up there. And we got to go aboard the USS Alabama. And uh, once you're down in the boat, you, it is an amazing, it's a different world. It's a different world. The smells, the, 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 the sense of crowdedness, everything on the boat is important. There's no wasted space. There's not a square inch of wasted space on a nuclear submarine. And uh, everything is tight. The, the, uh, the galley where everybody eats, it's a small room. Everybody eats in shifts. It's, uh, you know, the modern American Navy provides excellent food for these guys. That wasn't the case always. But if you watch Doss Boat, I mean, there's lemons floating around in the water on the deck. You know, they've got sausages so, hanging from the ceiling. And they've got, so with Doss Boat, you've got to get a couple you, things ahead right off the bat. Yeah. Number one, subtitles, obviously. Number two, it's three and a half hours long. It is a very long movie. It it is a it, it it's a project. So you're gonna when you start watching it, you're gonna think that you're not gonna be able to get through it. But the characters become very very compelling. Yes. And the dialogue becomes very important. The the um, a couple things interesting to me about that movie is that the mo- when I felt that the crew was in the most jeopardy was not when they were underwater. I felt that they were in the most jeopardy when they were being exposed to the other Nazi, to the Nazi elements, right? So when they would go to a function and there were Nazis there and the uh, German officers there and, uh, and, the, and they were there with them, they were such smart asses and they were so competent that I was always concerned that one of them was going to say something and end up getting jammed up. And so, it, that's real interesting in contrast because the uh, – the captain of the boat, the character played by Jürgen Prochnow, was not a Nazi, and he no. did not like Nazis. No, he did not. He was a German Navy officer. He was not a Nazi. Yeah. And they always had, uh, there was always a political officer, usually from the Gestapo, on every, in every installation, on every boat. Mm-hmm just to, to maintain ideological cohesiveness, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I wonder how many of those guys got thrown overboard. Not, not enough, probably. Not enough of them, but I, you know, yeah. I bet that there but, was some, <laughs> that was probably pretty, pretty shitty the, duty. Uh, the the movie think? is uh, surprising. It, it does a, it's a, it com- completely convinces you of the claustrophobia uh, of in that setting. Oh yeah. It also spends a lot of time showing how a group of men in a tight setting completely revert back to the most uh, horrible, tasteless jokes and behavior that ever exist. <laughs> Every single moment is a is a some horrible uh, joke or practical joke. Um, a couple of the things that uh, were very interesting to me is like. Uh, you know, they're there, they're listening for the pings of the propellers. 
uh, everybody's at high stress, and the guy comes in and says, I've got bad news, and it was about a soccer game. And that drove them to a frenzy that they'd lost this soccer game. They just heard that they'd lost a soccer game, and they had no chance for the finals. And that seemed to upset them more than anything else. <laughs> you know, the connection to home, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, yeah, it's it's worthwhile movie. Uh, you'll enjoy it. Uh, be prepared for it though. Three and a half hours of subtitles. Yeah, it's a, it's a. You've got to get a. It's, it's going to be a two nighter. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. It'll be a two night movie. You'll, uh, if you get halfway through it on the first night, you will not be able to wait for the next half of it because it's good. It's a damn good movie, and uh, it's uh, uh, once again, it's 1981. It's it is not dated like you might expect a 41 year old movie to be it looks good it looks it's, good it, there's, there's it a couple scenes good. where they're in the open ocean and they're in the oceans in the background you can see the poor special effects yeah. but other than that it, it's done very well because most of this the settings inside the set right the set of the, the right the the uh sub, inside the, sub. The, the the camera also does something he does something interesting with the camera where not only is it claustrophobic, but he has a tendency to zoom in on the actor so that you feel claustrophobic personally. You feel that you're too close right. to the actors. You're too close to the wall. You're too close to the bulkhead. You know, you that's a, now that you mention that, that is an interesting technique. I, I, that, I, now that you mention it, I, I do realize that that did contribute to the feeling you have while you're watching it. This is... Yeah. I'm within everything else's personal space here because there so, aren't, there's not any personal space. There's no, there's no space. So if you are watching a, a, a lot of the modern flicks where they're showing underground stuff going on, you can see that the actor or the actress is in a cramped space. But in this movie, you feel like you're in that cramped space and you just want the camera to back up just a little bit to give yourself, to buy yourself a little room. But there is, there's no room to do that. No. It's a, uh, uh, so once again, that's Das Boot. Uh, it's a it's in it's German subtitles. There's no other option for it. There's no voiceover. And if there was an if there was an English voiceover for this film, I wouldn't watch it. No, no, I don't like voiceover. No, that would be tasteless. It, it just wouldn't work. So learn learn to appreciate subtitled movies. I mean, you're not children. You know, if you can't appreciate the Seven Samurai or Das Boot, then you're 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 a child. You know, you don't have to have everything spoon fed to you. So this would be a good place for you to start to be a grown up movie aficionado. Das Boot. All right. Now, one more movie that is in our our, our honorable mention, as it were, discussion list, and this one is this one is tough. If you're going to argue that some of these things ought to be in the top five, this is probably the the number one movie that probably we are fucking up here by not putting it in the top five, and that is Twelve O'clock High. Twelve O'clock High was a Gregory Peck film, and it was it was shot. It's a World War II movie that was shot in 1949. This thing was made four years after the end of the war. It was a war movie. A war that's movie immediacy. 
right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's right on top of it. So, so that makes it worthwhile to watch, right? To watch it in the highest depth that you can find so that you can see the equipment and understanding that this was just, just yesterday, right? This was yeah. just yesterday. Everybody the, in the movie had, had been in the war. Yeah. You know, these people were all in the damn thing. You know, all of the equipment is World War II equipment. The B-17s are B-17s. The tanks are the tanks. They didn't have to scrounge around and try to find remnants because it was all laying all over the place. It was, you know, and this thing is a, it's a, it's a movie about a, uh, a, a bomber outfit, uh, and, and B-17 units in World War II, uh, those were by and large suicide missions. The attrition rate in, in the bomber outfits was very, very high. And I think I remember something about uh, if you were on a bomber crew, on a B-17 crew, and you completed 20 missions and you're still alive, they sent you home. Because that you, you weren't going to – 20 is about all you could stand. About all you, you know. got. Do you, do you think the movie holds up now to a modern audience? What do you think? Or do you think I it really, needs to be watched for historical reasons? I, you know, that's a very good question. I don't know. Me being 66 and, uh, you know, having a direct connection to it through my my dad, my parents, uh, I don't know that I could say that, John. Uh, it may be dated. It may be a little bit dated. Uh the the plot is uh about the command of this bomb outfit and the guy that's in charge of the outfit his commanders think he's getting to be too sympathetic toward his men and he's it's compromising his ability to make effective decisions with them so they they replace him with another guy and it's about the relationship between the new commander and the bomb crews and all of this stuff and it's 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 uh it's an excellent excellent film i i think every, i think you ought to watch it now whether it's as good as dunkirk you know i don't think you could say that but by the same token it's it's a if you're interested in a world war ii movie and you're interested in world war ii then you've already seen this yeah, I, I think that the only way, for me, the only way to put these movies is to watch them through the lens of, of your personal experiences, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know that you could separate how you feel about a movie and simply look at it in terms of quality of production, quality of an acting, stuff like that. No. I don't think that that does anybody any good. Because no, you know what, John? If you, if you have time while you're watching a movie like that to think about the quality of the production and the quality of the acting and all this other shit, then you're not into the movie. You're not watching the movie. You're not yeah, watching you're the movie. Good. You're watching the manufacturing of the movie. Which, yeah. And there's a, there's a place for that. But... If the movie is sufficiently good, you don't have time to think about it because you're in it. Yeah, it's pulling you in. I, right. I'll go back and see a movie the second time just to start maybe being a little bit more careful dissecting what's going on with it. But the first time, I like to go into it cold and just see what I'm getting into. Right. Just let the movie draw me in. Yeah. Right. Let it entertain you. 
you know, or educate you or whatever you're there for. Whatever the hell you're there for, yeah. But uh, now that uh, that that thing is uh, uh, it's 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 Gregory Peck's. Well, after uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, it's probably his best role. And uh, you know, if you're a Peck fan, you ought to you ought to watch it for that. But if you're a Peck fan, you've already seen it. You've already seen the movie. This is this is a classic film. This is uh, this doesn't need me including it in a list. You know, twelve o'clock highs. <laughs> it's independent of our podcast here. Doesn't need our stamp. <laughs> no, it doesn't need our stamp of approval. So I'd I'd advise you uh, if you're into war movies, you need to see Twelve O'clock High. Okay, now. Now we come to our list. This is our top five. Now, the order of the list, we can argue about that. There may be some disagreement about the order on the list, even between myself and John, but uh, I'm going to start with uh, I'm going to start with Zulu, all right? Now, right. Zulu is is a British film that was that was shot in 1964 shot on location in south africa and it is about the story of the battle of rourke's drift which was uh, a situation in which the zulu nation had united against the brits and this british detachment is is stuck at a station out in the middle of nowhere out in the middle of south africa and four thousand zulu warriors come against a garrison of 150 british british uh british soldiers in one of the one of the infantry divisions uh there in uh occupied south africa and this is for south african independence and britain is still there and uh, 4,000 Zulus have gotten tired of this shit. And the Zulus were, were tribal people and were not used to operating in unison for anything and were united against this 150-count British force that were trapped at the uh, place that's called... Uh, Rourke's Drift, which is a couple of little little hills, surrounded by savannah, and uh, they they built a camp there and they had some buildings and stuff. A hundred and fifty British soldiers, thirty of whom were very sick, very ill, couldn't fight, sick and wounded, yeah, and everything else, and they held off four thousand Zulu tribesmen. With with trapdoor with trapdoor rifles, right? Yes, single shot trapdoor rifles. Infields, yeah. infields. Yeah, infields. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so neck down, neck yeah. down cartridge, about a forty five caliber bullet, neck down. So four hundred eighty grain bullet. Well, that's a hell of a bullet. Grains of black powder pushing along at thirteen fifty feet per second. So that would have been a a. Um, shit, the a slow heavy bullet. Yeah. <laughs> what the. A big neck down cartridge, and uh, very very impressive looking neck down cartridge. And that 
and that it was a single, so it was a single shot trap door, so it had a little lever on the bottom, and you push the lever down, and the extractor pulled the round out, and then you pushed the round in and levered it back up, and there was no, there was no safety on it or anything. There was a little cocking mechanism, a little cocking, cocked indicator on the side, but there was no safety on it, but it was a single right. shot round. I've never uh, seen one of those rifles. I've got an M89 at home, I was your 89. Uh, but I don't, I've never seen an infield trapdoor infield like that. You know, those trapdoor guns are so interesting looking and they're so effective and they're so, they work so well. They don't I break, they don't jam. The mechanism no. is so simple and that's, and that's what these guys were armed with. And they had a big giant pile of ammunition mm-hmm. and, uh, they killed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Zulus. Now, this this movie involved the slaughter of a bunch of black Africans by a bunch of white people. Now, that is not something that could be treated today. Well, it, in a, I in, mean, in, in a film in any in any way, and uh, you. But the film remains one of the one of the all-time favorite British movies of British audiences. And it is, uh, it has received uh, praise from, uh, from Zulu representatives of, of both the time and, and current times because of its depiction of the cooperative nature of the Zulu nation at that time. And, and, for groups of separate tribes to come together and be depicted as an effective force uh, is regarded as complimentary. And so, uh, so the, the what comes across to me in that movie, number one, that gun's called a 577 450, believe it or not. 577 grain, 450 grains of black powder. Uh, no, no. Five seventy-seven was the cart was the case, and then it was necked down to a four fifty. Oh, okay. Size. Got bullet it. yeah all right so so the what came across to me in that movie is is that there wasn't any bad guys in that movie this was not a bad this was not a good guy against a bad guy thing no this was one people against another people this this is just going on and um, the the it, zulus were not depicted as bloodthirsty savages no the brits were there because that was their job yeah and the zulus were there because that was their job Yes. And this was just work. And if you if you watch the movie, uh, I, what I would recommend is, number one, it, I was very impressed with it. I hadn't seen it before about six months ago, and I was very impressed with it. Watch the movie, watch the performances, enjoy where it takes you, and then go back and research some of the issues that they had filming this movie and some of the things that, that the, the restrictions that the cast was under and and the the beginning of the movie starts with a, a big uh, a big uh, scene. Uh, it was a, a a ritual scene, a festival scene, right? Starts with this very important dance scene, and then read where those dancers came from to film it. It's all very interesting stuff. Uh, it uh, it has some powerful performances. Uh, I guess that was early early Michael Caine. Am I that was right? his first his first major role. Yeah, Michael Caine. Yeah, he'd done a few things before, but this was his first major role. Stanley Baker, 
uh, was the other guy that starred in the in the film, and he was also uh, one of the producers of well, the with, film. He was Michael, into the thing. You know, he starts out, and you don't you don't have a good feeling about him. He's kind of a kind of a upper crust Brit that you don't know what he's made out of, and then and then of course he has his character development along the way. But yeah. the movie's worthwhile. Uh, it holds up. There's some clunky clunky dialogue, of course. But I, I tell you, it still holds up, and and the and the uh, the attack scene, and the, the tactics and the strategies they made it make sense. I mean, the scene of those injured people dragging ammo around, trying to stay underneath the uh, the shots being fired. I mean, it was all very impressive stuff. And the way that the Zulu warriors were timing their waves, their sieges. I mean, it was all very it was it was very effectively filmed. I thought. It was. It was a very good, uh, very good job in 1964 of depicting uh, warfare in 1897. This is when that battle took place, and uh, yeah, the thing was, uh, it's big and it's expansive, and the cast is huge. The, the, the ceremony in the beginning of the movie, when they spoke about how they went to to local nightclubs to get the dancers for the ceremony and it, it's just um uh, i found it very interesting so watch the movie enjoy the movie and then do a little research on it have you seen zulu dawn the prequel that was made after zulu no i have not seen that i've heard about it but i haven't seen it i heard it was a lesser movie but it might be worth taking a look at it right? might be it, it might be but get a slow spot i might order that and, and try to yeah. watch it but the the uh I mean, the big cast, the effective management of a cast this big, all the extras, the uh, black African extras, the 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 white soldiers were South African soldiers. Uh, Logistics for, involved, uh, the, all of that stuff. Uh, feeding all those people out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Yeah. Uh, all of this was, I mean, the the shots are are huge. And the set is pristine. There's no mistakes with with uh, continuity and stuff. It's it it really is an, an excellent film, and uh, so it's on our top five list. Zulu, nineteen and nineteen hundred and sixty four is when this was made, and that's the that's the oldest one on the top five list. Mm-hmm. Uh, War movies have gotten better since the 60s and 70s. Uh, Das Boat was 1981, and it's a, it's a modern war film. It's shot with, with modern film stock and modern cameras, and the thing looks like a modern film. Zulu looks like an older movie. Doesn't mean it's yes. bad, but, yes. it's, but, yes. it's, yep. but it's dated. It's an older yep. film. There are two recent movies that have come out that we're going to probably mistakenly group and and treat as one. One is Dunkirk, and the other one is 1917. Not fair to to treat them both together at the same time, but that's just the way they are on our list. That's the way they are on the list, and it's our list. It's not your list, so just listen, all right? So to begin with Dunkirk, I did not know that Christopher Nolan was capable of that kind of filmmaking. This is a hell of a movie. It really is a hell. I didn't of know it. that he was capable of that. The practical effects, 
the extensive use of practical effects, all the natural lighting, all of that. I had no idea he was able to do that sort of stuff. It was made in 2017, and if you don't know the story, the, the Germans had trapped the British Expeditionary Force uh, and had shoved them into a small area around the French town of Dunkirk. And they were all going to be just annihilated. The entire British army was about to be annihilated if we yes. couldn't get them out. So Churchill organized the, the civilian population of England to get in boats, go across the channel, and bring them home. It is... a uh, you know, so I just amazing story. Got it. This, this is one of the things that that makes, you know, I mean, you, you the cream rises to the top when it needs to. And this was a situation where I, this is this is truly a, a, a heroic thing that was done. it's an heroic story for these guys in fishing boats to be going in to, to save to save soldiers. Uh, and none of this is spoon fed to you in the movie. It's got limited dialogue. This movie has very limited dialogue you are expected to jump on board and keep up with what the hell's going on right and and to uh and the and the 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 bravery that they demonstrate in a nonchalant manner the the horrible things that happen that happen in a nonchalant manner so it's it's basically like land air sea right they're showing you the challenges of all three right right You'll find a character that you think you're going to follow through this whole movie, and that character don't make it through the whole damn movie, right? Uh, the uh, I found the the scene in the um, the boat to be the most compelling. That that storyline structure with that right. with that fisherman, I found that right. to be the most compelling. But uh, it's really well done. I would watch this movie twice. I'd watch it the first time and just allow yourself to get sucked up into the to the story. And then I would go back and look for the the technical expertise. It, yeah, uh, I've watched really, it about three times, and it's it really is. This is Nolan's best movie. You know, it's Tom yeah. Hardy is the fighter pilot. Did you yes. know that? Yes. His face is covered up the whole damn movie. Could have been anybody, and it's Tom. I, Hardy I saw him in the credits. I just didn't know. I did. Now that you say that, I. But I saw his name in the credits. Yeah, and, he, he's uh, he's he's a genius actor, of course, but. The uh, I, I couldn't be more impressed with that movie. I, I had no idea Nolan. You know, I like Nolan's Batman's. They're fine, but yeah, they're fine, and they're they're good movies. They're very well done movies. But this thing's just head and shoulders above that kind of fictional thing that he did with the Batman films. Yeah, but this thing was all shot on location in England and France. That's where the thing took place. And they and used some of the original boats. Some of the original boats they used were still in existence for the were still in existence, and they used and they thanked them at the end of the credits. They thanked them for for uh, making a second run. <laughs> impressive stuff. Um, the uh, yeah, it the limited dialogue, the natural lighting, the the storytelling where it's so nonchalant bravery that's 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 got to be no one's best stuff right D did you know that this is the highest grossing world war ii film of all time i had no idea that that's amazing yeah. that's kind of cool yeah. that people are still interested 
people still interested and people still he, interested in this story in this because story. there's not i mean we can't do this now well the, the people the modern the, population the, of england the modern population of america of the united states can't behave this way they're incapable yes. of it they don't it's been we've it's we, been bred out of them it's been bred out of them confirmation has been bred into them bravery and courage has been bred out of them i'm sorry but those of you listening to this podcast know that i'm right yeah well that maybe maybe it's not genetics it might not be genetics it's no it's just it's your environment it's It's just it's it's, so bread out is not really the accurate bread out's not the the right but 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 uh the behavior has been weeded out yeah the behavior has been made hard to do yeah behavior has been it's not fashionable so those so those guys that that jumped on their private vessels to run over there and rescue them right those guys they they've got kids and grandkids that are still over there and they're still hearing those stories i mean that's pretty impressive that's that's pretty cool stuff oh yeah Yeah. it was an extremely important event in the war and uh I mean, if that hadn't taken place, uh, Great Britain wouldn't be there now. Is it? Was it that important an event? It saved their army. Four hundred thousand people. Jesus Christ! You know, it's just it's just astonishing how many people were moved by private vessels. I didn't know there was that many. I mean, had they uh, had the had the Germans had time to to completely surround those guys and just shoot holes in them until they were all dead. The war would not have, have been won. It would not have been won. It's, it's, it's a, it's a terribly important thing that, that happened. They never show the Germans either. No, they really don't. They really don't. don't, Cause it wasn't about them. No. Wasn't about them. It was about, it was about the Brits and how they saved their themselves. Yes, that's exactly right. Yep. Exactly what they did. They saved themselves. Yeah. And the other movie in that in that we're going to bunch these together is a modern. I mean, within you know this this thing was was made three years ago in 2019. It's called 1917. And 1917 was directed by Sam Mendes, uh, who is notable for having directed Skyfall. In the new James Bond part of the franchise, Skyfall and Spectre, he's a very competent director. And this 1917 is very, very interesting. It is, it is set up to be so that you will perceive that the movie is shot in two very long takes. Yeah, and uh, you're you're following two guys who are sent on a job and one of them gets killed and the other one swears to him he'll finish the job and and it but it the the camera follows these two guys around follows them through the trenches and over the no man's land and into farmhouses and you know it, it, it it's there are a whole bunch of interesting camera techniques the in, interesting in camera so, so it obviously wasn't done in just two takes but 
it's made to look like it was done in just two takes. Now they do a and good it, job of making it look they, like that. They, they did a good job of making it look like that. It requires a tremendous amount of work. Uh, and and you like the characters, you believe them. The characters aren't recognizable to you now. I mean, I don't know. Uh, if you I don't know these actors. They're young British guys. Yeah, I and, couldn't pick out those actors. But they certainly do sell it. You know, they, they sell the performance. Uh, all of them. I mean, I don't know that they demonstrated one one character in the whole movie as being cowardly, right? I mean, they were all they all were just doing their job, doing what they were supposed to do. You know, this is not, there weren't any cowards in 1917. It's a damn truth, right? And uh, these kids were this is they're in a real shitty situation, and and it is hard for modern audiences to understand World War One. It's hard. Uh, because we have never experienced that level of uh, mud and filth and, filth and bad smells and dead horses and uh, lack of food. No food. Yeah. Scurvy. Water's all dirty. Your socks have been wet for three weeks. You, uh, you know, it's just, it's, we haven't got any, we haven't got a handle on that. It, it's such a foreign concept to us, that level of discomfort. So the, the, the 1917, uh, watch it, enjoy the, enjoy the movie and get, just get, just let the, the, sing, the two single shot thing carry you with it. Um, you won't recognize any of the actors. Uh, they're all suitably young to sell the roles that they're in, right? right. And uh, and it, uh, it it's a it's a worthwhile watch. It it goes pretty quick too. It doesn't. It, I'm not sure what the runtime on that movie was. It's but not. It didn't seem, I don't think it's quite two hours. Yeah, it's not quite. It, a, it's, it's not, not a very. A, long it's not a challenge like Das Boot. No, no, it's not. It's not. No, unsigned. it's nothing like that. But it's. No, it's you'll enjoy long. this. 1917 by. Uh, Sam Mendes and uh, uh, those two are notable for having come out within just a couple of years of each other. And Did that one kind of fly under the radar in 1917? It I think it fly. must have, yes. I don't remember seeing it much must of have. that. I don't think it made a big splash like Dunkirk did. Yeah. But uh, it was, uh, you know, I, they're, they're, they came out so close together in my mind, being old and shit, that I, I just kind of associate them. Well, if it's within reason. ten years, if it's within a ten-year span, it's pretty close together, as far pretty as close. I. Yeah. Now let's talk about Fury. This is a 2014 film, and this is another one of these great films that stars Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is. Oh, he's one of three people working today that is that level of actor. Yeah, he, you know? he's the character. So when you see the movie, you you know it's Brad Pitt, but you see the character that he's playing. Right. He's, you don't you don't think superb. about Brad said blah blah blah. You think no, about no. the character said blah blah blah. It's, it's you know these people that right. don't understand. You and I have talked about uh, Robert De Niro's problem. You can't see a movie with Robert De Niro and forget what a fucking asshole Robert De Niro, the actor, actually is. It, it, he has fixed it up so that he is no longer believable as a character. 
Brad Pitt has shut the fuck up. Brad Pitt is the character. Keanu Reeves is that way. Well, not only are they the character, but when you look at them, you don't necessarily see... Like, if you look at De Niro, you see De Niro, right? Right. So De Niro, That's all you see. De Niro, and he's happened to be in this movie. When you look at Brad Pitt, you see the character that he's playing. Right. And, you know, the same is true for Tom Cruise. You know, I, I don't really care for Tom Cruise personally. I don't know him personally, but I don't, the stuff I've seen. But he has maintained enough distance that even though he's instantly recognizable as Tom Cruise, when he shows up as the character, he's quite believable as the guy in Mission Impossible. Who the hell works harder than Tom Cruise? Jesus I don't, Christ. man, I haven't seen this new Top Gun movie, but I haven't heard anything from anybody except this is the best fucking movie I've seen in years. Yeah. That's, everybody gonna, gonna like has it. said that. And, yeah, you're going to like it. So it's and a it's Cruise's deal, you know. It's, his. It, it's a Hollywood movie. However, he worked hard in it. He did everything right. He he paid, he paid, uh, he respected the previous characters, and he built on them. He stayed close enough to the source material so that the old timers would still enjoy it. Right, his jacket had all the right patches on it, no matter who it's going to piss <laughs> off. Right, yeah, which is the good. whole big damn deal. Um, so yeah, so you'll I, would, would yeah. you advise me to watch the the first Top Gun and then see this one? It's been, yes. it's been Absolutely. 20 years since I've seen it. Absolutely, because he's going to have the same jacket, the same motorcycle, the same watch, and the f- that he's going to have the same stuff on in the second movie, in like the first or second scene. So, yes, absolutely watch it. All See right. the difference. That's what I'll See, do. And pay it, uh, the, his new love interest in this movie, uh, with a name drop in the first movie, so you'll be able to tie the, dot, uh, tie right. the connections there. But, yeah, you'll – yes. All right, I'll, this, I'll, I'll, I'll do it like that. I guess we better get back to Fury, though. Fury's, Fury's, <laughs> Fury's the Brad Pitt uh, film, and, and Brad has done so many good movies in such a wild diversity of roles that the the goddamn guy is a magician. Now, I don't know that he's a magician at the level of Gary Oldman, but man, he's getting close. Yeah, he is so getting with, close. With, with Brett, see, I think Gary Oldman's sort of outdid Gary Oldman. Like so, so um, uh, Brad Pitt was in a movie with James Gandolfini one time, and um, and he played a stoner in the beginning of it, and his only role was laying on this couch being stoned when the bad guys would come in and ask questions. And you don't watch that movie and think, there's Brad Pitt. What the hell? You know, you just see the stoner there that you're reasonably happy that he manages to live through the whole movie when a whole bunch of people did, you know? So, uh, so you see him perform his performance in um, once upon a time in Hollywood, you believed he was that stunt man. You believed he was capable of all that stuff. You believed yeah. he could toss Bruce Lee around like that. You believed all that stuff, right? Well, uh, and what about, what was it, uh, 12 Monkeys? Was that the one he was in? 12 uh, Monkeys with Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt? So yeah. Was that the Bruce Willis vehicle, too? Yeah. I, I, yeah. And he was just a crazy person in that movie. Yes. Totally believable as an absolute crazy person. Yeah, and they both they both worked hard in that movie. That movie was a miserable shoot, so... 
uh, you can read about how horrible the conditions were during the shoot on that, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so they, uh, yeah, so he's a, he's a superb actor and fury is, um, it, it flew under the radar. I don't know. A lot of people paid attention to it when it came out. Um, it, it sells you on their behavior. It's got some characters yeah. you'll recognize. Uh, it's there really are some people done. in the Sheila of Booth. You, you probably know that poor little guy, but he's yeah. and there. There are two or three other people in it. Uh, Michael, the guy Pena. that plays the Punisher, the guy that plays the Punishers in there. Yeah. Uh, he, um, Michael uh, Pena. He was in I, what was that other movie? Michael Pena was in. It was that he, he was so good in, but uh, he is he's an underrated actor as well but uh the the thing about the uh, thing about fury was it made this thing so believable is the way the the uh the director of that is david Ayer, and and he had these guys living in the tank the cast lived in the tank they slept in the tank well, they were Brad in the Pitt's tank. Probably six one, two hundred pounds, one ninety anyway. So yeah. that's not a comfortable environment. Yeah. No, 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 it's not. And the they looked suitably uncomfortable. He he <laughs> he made sure that these guys were convincing that the dirt on them they actually earned. And yes. uh, it was a it was an interesting approach to the to the treatment of the cast. I'm sure they got tired of it, but uh, they uh, they earned their money. Yeah, you probably don't become a movie star, so you got to live in a tank, right? I mean, that wouldn't right. be the result goal. Uh, so Brad Pitt's got a 1917 uh, double-action Smith revolver that shoots this half-moon clips, 45 ACP. Uh, he's a brutal character, right? You're not generally used to seeing Brad Pitt that brutal, right, in a movie. Right. Uh, it... Uh, uh, it's a very enjoyable movie. It goes very fast. It's not a long movie. No, no, it's it not. It goes a, very fast. It yeah. doesn't really drag. Even the domestic scenes with the women. Well, that that, that was a that didn't drag because they've already. So, what was interesting about that scene with the the women in the town was, is that they'd already demonstrated how um, brutal a character Brad Pitt was, and then when they're in there with uh, the girl and her lady and her niece, I guess. Yeah. And you're like, how, how bad a guy is Brad Pitt going to be here? You know what I mean? How, how evil are they going to make, or how bad are they going to make him in this scene? So that was kind of an uncomfortable scene. The tension built yes. up. In that no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then, you and know, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but you. it was the, the thing was, it turned out not the way you expected yeah, and, uh, and when you're when you're convinced that when you take a guy like Brad Pitt that that you recognize, and he's able to convince you that he might be capable of what you think might be coming, and enough to make you uncomfortable, that's 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 not an easy thing to do. Right. Oh, that's exactly what he did, isn't it? Yeah. He made you think Brad Pitt made you think that his character might do a very terrible thing. Yeah, that you, you made un- watching that scene was uncomfortable. It was in more fact, uncomfortable than the battle scenes. In yeah. fact, in fact, it was. That's why it was in there. I'm supposed. Yeah, I suppose yeah. It's the reason it was included is just for that dramatic edge. And it, it worked very well. Uh, and the thing was, you know, 
sometimes war movies just boggle my mind because of the obvious expense involved in tearing that much shit up. You know, I mean, they you just got to depict. You know, when you're when you're making a war movie involving tanks, you got to blow shit up, and blown up shit was previously not blown up, and now it's blown up, and that costs money. You know, and I, it's it's interesting to me that that uh, that amount of money. Is it? How little does it take to screw a scene up, right? So, if oh yeah, how many takes do you up, get on this? Yeah, so so you, know? you got one take here, and you're and if you cheat too much in one of those scenes, the audience knows that you're cheating too much. So you're completely committed to this event that's going to cost a fortune. I right? mean, you can only burn the set down one time now, can't you? <laughs> right. You know, well, I mean, unless you're prepared to build another one, that's unless right. you're prepared to build another one, like right now. Yeah, you, yeah, you can only burn the set down once, and and boy, everybody better of, have their head out of their ass, hadn't they? The old days of turning the little gas burners on behind the windows to to show that the place is burned down, that you can then turn them down. I think right. those days are gone. Those, I think those days are passed. gone. Yeah, we're, those days are gone. There's no doubt. So, uh, Fury is 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 uh, that's an important movie, and. Uh, but we've we've saved the best two for last, and I don't think there's any question about these two movies being at the top of the list. Uh, Black Hawk Down is a night is a 2001 film uh, that regarded uh, the events in Mogadishu in uh, Somalia in. Uh, earlier in the Clinton administration. And, uh, you know, this is a Ridley Scott film. Yeah, I didn't want to watch that movie again, but I did. Uh, Ridley Scott films are, are – Ridley Scott does not make bad movies. This is it, Ridley a, Scott's known for his imagery. He's known for using the smoke. He's known for convincing you of stuff. The realistic scenes he's known for – for you being sucked in visually to a movie. Yes. Now, sometimes his characters aren't as well developed. People will argue about that, and that I'm not, I'm not talented enough to argue about that one way or another. Well, but his visuals, you know, let's, you in. let's talk about that. How much does a character need to be developed before a film critic will say that the character development was adequate? Probably to the degree that you don't want to watch the movie. You're too right. bored. Right. I, mean, I, I don't want to hear the character. Yeah. About, I'm not there yeah. for the characters. I'm there yeah. for the story. All right. Yeah, and if the is, character is, development is not necessary for the story, then I don't need to see it. Okay. I can't stay here eight hours. Yeah. As long as know? the characters are consistent and they stay with what they're set up to be, then I'm comfortable with that. So right. as long as the characters stay consistent and they are who they are through the whole movie, right. then I'm, I'm fine with well, that. This is be the difference between the 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 film version of Lonesome Dove and a Western movie. Character development. Right. Okay. Right. But you don't have six and a half hours to sit in the movie. To tell the story. You know, you, you don't have the luxury of the character development. And for this for film critics to get on this bandwagon all the time about 
no character development, no character development. It's not always appropriate. I don't, I don't think we can pay much attention to film critics anymore because they've all been co-opted by yes. access, right? So, yeah. so they're going to say what someone tells them to say. Right. I don't know how many honest film critics are out there anymore, I but don't. they're all going to stick to whatever the party line happens it, to be. Yeah, as a general rule, if the film critics don't like it, it's probably a pretty good movie. Yeah. At this point, you know, I really did. I just liked the hell out of the Thirteenth Warrior. It's one of those. It's just a movie I've watched, you know, eight or ten times. I just love the film, love the story, love the everything about it. And the film critics hated it. They hated the hell out of it. Yeah. And yeah. what else do you need to know? You know, I That's I, I just don't care what they think. So with Black Hawk Down, because it's a true story, and I know there's lots of debates about how accurate it is, and that's fine, but because of it's a true story, because we all remember that very well, right? Yes. We, we remember, remember it happened. Was, um, we remember the that, Clinton administration, quite specifically, we remember the Clinton administration leaving those guys. Yeah. And instead of going in and getting them out like they should have, they left them there. To their own devices. And, and that was it, a it, shameful. It's shameful. And it's shameful. I didn't want to watch the movie about. because it makes me mad every time I right. watch it. Exactly. So, but that's it, why I didn't watch the movie when it first came out, John. I just didn't. I, I, I just, I knew it was going to piss me off. I, I won't. Yes. I don't go see movies. I think going to piss me off. I'm with you. And I, and I knew that one was going to make me mad. So I, I, I watched it eventually. And then I watched it again, uh, Ridley Scott does a superb job with it. The actors do it. Did Did you know that um, that was one of Tom Hardy's first roles? Yes, I did. I didn't know that. It was his I, first movie. I didn't know that until I read it. The other yeah, day. it was his first movie. I knew that when I read it. But the other actors in that in that movie, Tom Sizemore and Sam Shepard, Eric Bana was in it, and uh, he's been in. He was in the one of the Hulk movies, wasn't he? Eric Bana was in the yeah. Hulk that was worth a damn yeah yeah right and yeah, the first one yeah he good. was that was a he had a good role in that uh yeah australian guy he was uh played the role of a uh delta force operator in this thing yeah. and uh uh the, the thing was shot on location in morocco so you know north africa is north africa and uh and as far as we're concerned here in texas and uh the, there were several criticisms of the film. There weren't any any Somali actors in the movie. I don't care that there weren't any Somali actors in the movie. Yeah, it I, didn't bother I, me at all. I look uh, at the movie as it appears on screen, right? So, right. right. What did, did they draw you into the story? They tell a good story, and you enjoy it. And, the, and, uh, and yes, they did. And yes, they uh, did. then, but boy, you're you're right about the piss you off thing i mean the sense of despair uh that you see gradually developing as this thing turns more and more into shit uh it's it's just it's real aggravating but if if, if you want to see a war movie uh I've, I've had people tell me people that know that this is about as close as you can get to what goes on in a in a modern combat situation. This is what everything looks like. This is what everything 
feels like. This is what Black Hawk helicopters look like when they fly, when they crash. You know, we're still using those. Sometimes I think that, I mean, I don't think anyone should ever forget what just everyday bravery people like that are capable of. Just everyday, day in, day out, courageous behavior they're capable of. Yeah. Do you know? So so when you see that and you, you see that courageous behavior betrayed like portrayed like that, you know, you gotta look at it not through a political lens because it'll just make you it if you just view them as who they are and not necessarily who the commander in chief is, right? So right. Um, they took and, uh, Ridley Scott didn't talk about the commander in chief. No, he, he no, did it, not put politics into this movie this, at all. Not, this was this that event, is this now you guys event. listen. This is just me and John bringing politics into it, but yes. it's not a political film at all. At all, no. not at any not at any point in the movie is no. is the immediate politics of why these guys are being fucked in the ass even mentioned. No, the it's, despair that runs through it. I think that so much of the despair comes from the fact that you know, you know what was going on. Right. Other ways, other places, you know. Right. And uh, but like Tom Sizemore, I didn't know he was capable of that kind of performance. I didn't. I, I was. I mean, I didn't know he could do that. Um, yeah, Tom Sizemore played uh, Bat Masterson in. Uh, in. Uh, yeah, I think I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, he uh, he played Bat Masterson in in the uh, Wyatt Earp movie, and uh, that's the first time I'd ever seen the guy. Hmm. And he did a good job with that, but he really in 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 this film he really did a hell of a job. He produced, yeah, did did a hell of a job, and uh, oh, uh, Sam Shepard is the lieutenant colonel. Yep, he did a good yep. job. All these guys did a great job in this movie. This is a, this really is a. Uh, it's one of these movies that's hard to watch, but it's and it it may be a kind of movie that you don't want to see eight or ten times because it's so goddamn it, it, hard to watch. But once you've watched it, these it, it's, man, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, it's a, a hell of a bunch of real good performances. Ridley Scott's amazing ability to create this environment on film. I don't see how he does this. I do it's not just understand. It's a visionary thing. This guy's a got a vision. I mean, how do he you come it. up with the, the spaceship for Alien? He sees you know, it in his head he, he, before he, you see it, and then he just has to find the people that can translate that for him. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the that's that guy's job. So he's got the vision of what he wants it to look like. And then he just has to find the people that can produce that for him. Right. You know? Well, uh, the, the, the fucking film is just amazing. You, you know, plus he uh, lets his actors do their own thing too. He'll let them experiment a little bit. Yeah. He's yeah. He'll let them, he'll let them find that role. He'll let them find that space. He's not like Kubrick that, wants everything exactly this way yeah. uh ridley scott lets it play out a little bit right well and and it's all it's paid paid off for it because yes all yes. of his all of his casts 
in all of his movies are just top notch. They just he's, he's going to be very relieved to find that we approve. I'm sure. I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure he'll be thankful that you and I recognize. <laughs> well, so Black Hawk Down, top of the list, top of the list, and the other movie that's the top of the list is Saving Private Ryan. Now this thing. This this is probably the best war movie that's ever been made. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, it's it's the best war movie that's ever been made. It's the it has unbelievable, impactful moments to it. Uh, despite the carnage, you can still follow what's going on. Uh, it's easier to watch the second time than it is the first time. The first time you watch it, it's hard to watch. Uh, the second time, you can. Maybe distance yourself a little bit from the story a little bit and the characters, but I mean, there's there's some, uh, and Tom Hanks is, I don't know that, I'm not particularly wild of his acting, but they get the best out of him in this movie. They you do. know what I mean? They do. They certainly so, do. So so he delivers in this movie, yes. um, and he wouldn't he would not be your go to star to cast in this movie either right he wouldn't be the guy that you went to 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 so i would no he doesn't uh, look immediately as though he should have been cast in this role but he works yeah you know it works just fine now matt damon's in this this thing was shot in 98 so it's you know it's 24 years old now and and matt damon was a young man in this film vin diesel was in it I was surprised to see that on the cast list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I remember. Yeah, uh, so Vin Diesel, he's he's interesting. He, he started out a house on fire as far as acting goes, and then, right. I mean, some people they they go into different memorable roles, and some don't. But um, I guess he's got that Fast and Furious franchise that's making him a fortune. So I'm right. sure he's doing perfectly fine. But and, and uh, Sizemore's yeah. in this one too. Sizemore's in this one too, yeah. Tom Sizemore's in this one too, and uh, I mean the cast is the, this. Well, this is Spielberg film, all right. And yeah. there, there's nothing in a Spielberg movie that that Spielberg doesn't want to show you. It's they're perfect films. All of them are perfect films. There's not an aspect of a scene that's wrong. There's not an aspect of dialogue, plot development, nothing is anything except what Spielberg wants you to see. And he is famous for that. You know, he has made so many important movies. He's probably the, he and Ridley Scott, as far as I'm concerned, are the two most important directors in modern film. There's there's nobody that even comes close to him, except no yeah. one, maybe. Yeah. And the... Um the skill set that they bring and the memorable movies and the movies that are sort of part of your life uh, that you can remember saving private Ryan. I mean, that's, it's been, it's been picked apart by so many different people that we, I don't, I don't know that I've got anything to add to that movie other than if you haven't seen it in a while, go back and see it. If you've never seen it, then it must be simply because you don't like war movies at all. Right. Yeah. That's the only reason a person would not have seen yeah. Saving Private Ryan. I'm, I'm going to try to tell you the story. I don't know that I'll get through it, but 
I took my dad to see it. I took my dad to see it. He was in. I can't talk about it. We're going to have to skip it. Have to skip that topic. I have to skip that topic. Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen, uh, if you haven't seen uh, Saving Private Ryan, it's it's just because you don't like the topic, because yeah. it's it's the best war movie that's ever been made, and I don't think there's any, uh, I don't think there is any uh, disagreement among anybody about that. It's a uh, powerful movie. Very powerful it's, movie. It's well shot. They get the performances out of the people, and it's a very, um, it hits you. It hits you in the gut, you know? Yeah. There's a couple scenes that are just in, hard, hard to watch. Hard to watch. Yeah. Omaha Beach. Yeah. See, what was supposed to, and, and you know, most people don't know the, the actual history of this, but what was supposed to have happened that night was the 101st Airborne was supposed to have gone uh, across the channel and jumped out of their their C-47s and their gliders. And that was supposed to have taken place a mile or a mile and a half offshore behind the, the gun emplacements. Those guys are supposed to have hit the ground and marched back and taken out the German gun emplacements so that the landing could take place at dawn. Well, as with anything in a war, everything was all fucked up. Fucked up beyond all recognition. FUBAR, that's where that comes from. And those guys ended up nine miles from the, from the shore. And, and my dad ended up in a little town called San Mary Glees. And they had to get from there back to the beach. And there wasn't time. Right. There just wasn't time. And as a result, when the landing craft came on shore, they just chewed them up. Mm-hmm. You know, you put 30 caliber rounds down the hull of a boat and yes. everybody's standing in the goddamn thing. It's just, it's just, a, it's, not, it's not even a slaughter. No, it's just, it, it's just impossible to understand. Uh, what happened that morning and uh and my god what a deal and it and the depiction of that the depiction of that was was close what everybody said that was was pretty close 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 as you can get without killing everybody's ass you know it comes across on the film it does. Does, in it fact. Does, in fact. So, those are our top five. Saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down, Fury, Dunkirk in 1917, and Zulu from 1960. So, I think of these, I think that the that, that people probably maybe haven't seen Dunkirk and Zulu. I, unless in you 17, follow, they probably haven't seen 1917 either. 1917 either. When it comes to the to the ones that we spoke about earlier, uh, I'm trying to think where I might start with on those. If you haven't seen Full Metal Jacket, 
I would watch that and then warm up to Das Boot by maybe watching Kelly's Hero. I wouldn't jump right into Das Boot. I think it's going to be too exhausting. Yeah, it could very well be. Get a little enjoyment out of Kelly's Heroes before you go to Das Boot. So that's our little take on the subject. Uh, what do we got coming up for another the next movies thing we're going to do. We've got to do spy movies, don't we? You got to do spy movies. We talked about doing gunfight movies, movies that had gunfights that we really did enjoy, right? Yeah. They might not have made the list on other areas. Right, right. Um, the um, um, the um, spy movies, gunfight movies, and uh, I think that's about the... How about nursing the, movies? We need nursing movies on there? Nursing movies, like nursing the physical act or nursing the profession? Well, nursing like sick people. Oh, sick people. I don't. I, uh, I'm not I'm really sure. interested in doing that. Uh, a nurse movie? I, don't, I can't even I don't. think of a nurse movie now that I think. How about a I can't, well, doctor movies? No. There aren't any good doctor movies. Well, as long as you do everything the doctors say, you're going to be okay, Rip. So, so we just do what they say. That's right. And everything's and, fine. Did we do monster fine. movies? We haven't done any monster movies. We got to do monster movies. We definitely right, so have to do monster movies. Sad scope the monster movies things. Are we looking at like the universal monsters like Frankenstein, the Mummy, Dracula, that that sort of monster? Well, we can do that. Movie? I mean, that could certainly be part of it. I'm thinking about Godzilla though. Godzilla, you know? King Kong. Godzilla, King Kong. Those are some monsters now. They are, but there they are, are other monsters are like John Carpenter's The Thing. Now that's a monster. Ooh. John Carpenter's The Thing holds up today. Yes, that, that is a damn good movie. Uh, yeah, that was a hell of a monster movie. There's, but we'll go have to go through and 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 find monster movies. But those that'd be a fun one to do. Maybe have to do that next. I don't. Monster know. movies is kind of a that's kind of that, a home run, right? Because monster be a, movies that'd be a break from uh, from uh, war movies and 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 spy movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we need to put monster movies in there to begin with. So I think we'll do monster movies next. So we got to figure out which of the Godzilla movies we like best. And, yeah, and we're uh, going to have to go old school for that, I think. Well, maybe. I don't know. There's there's a couple of new, you know, yeah, within the past 10 year modern CG Godzilla movies that are out where, I mean, where, you know, and one of the, one of the best parts of that Godzilla movie the last one I saw is the utter destruction of Los Angeles <laughs> what they're doing, that what was so fucking cool I just thought man if it, wouldn't it be great they, if they this sell, was not a movie they sell what a monster like that would be capable of right yeah they absolutely God. sell that sort of destruction oh yeah there. absolutely God well so let's just we'll work on that we'll put that in our our back pocket and see what we come up with mm-hmm. all right well Man, John, I appreciate it as usual. Our friend John Musser's been with us today on on our War Movie Podcast. And we will see you guys next time on Starting Strength Radio.